Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the military's second-in-command resigns after going golfing with Jonathan Vance. It was completely inappropriate. And it shows that there is a broken culture at the senior ranks in the Department of National Defense that they did not have the personal judgment to make a better decision. Ontario invokes the notwithstanding clause over election spending. Basically trampling over freedom of expression so that he can say, you know, allegedly level the playing field in provincial elections. And business leaders call for the Canada-U.S. border to reopen. Canadians have a right to know the criteria for reopening the Canada-U.S. border. We understand that Prime Minister Trudeau and President Biden discussed this issue on the margins of the G7, but we've seen no plan and we have no idea of what the government's intentions are for when the current closure expires a week from today. It's Tuesday, June 15th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. We're joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for being with us today. Good morning, Mark. Let's talk about two stories related to the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, One of them is that the second-in-command of the Canadian Forces is resigning as Vice Chief of the Defence Staff uh, after widespread reaction to the fact that he went golfing with General Jonathan Vance while Vance was under military police investigation. Um, And then we have another story of uh, Danny Fortin, Major General Danny Fortin, who was the leading Canada's vaccine logistics at the Public Health Agency of Canada. And uh, last month, he was removed from that post, and now he's challenging the federal government's decision to uh, to terminate that secondment. Um, so a, c- a couple more stories related to uh, senior people in the Canadian Armed Forces. Uh, what are your thoughts on both those stories? They're both in their own way. They, they, they do play off each other, much as they are disconnected on the surface. Start with the, basically it's a case of too much justice in one uh, story and not enough justice in the other one. So start with the not enough justice one. I, like everybody else, I think was somewhat astounded to hear about this case of uh Mr. Rouleau, uh golfing with with Jonathan Vance, the general who's been uh, under investigation for uh, the culture that was created uh, and some specific incidents. But basically what we've seen over the last uh, few months is the military is on trial, its culture is on trial for being an old boys network. And what more old boys network thing could you do beyond smoking cigars in a, a smoky back room, then go play golf. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, it, it, you know, I'm laughing, but it's, it is somewhat incredible that, uh, that this happened while the military is, is in, um, basically in a state of meltdown over whether victims of sexual misconduct or victims of this culture in the military are getting a proper hearing. And here's a guy who has a a direct role in um, military investigations, oversight of them, out golfing. He said to check on General Vance and see how he was doing. And, you know, you heard people saying yesterday, what, you know, is anybody going in and checking in on 
the people who made the allegations against General Vance? Is anybody make, taking them out for a few rounds on the golf course to make sure they're okay? It, it, it proves the point, uh, that case. The question of uh, Danny Fortin, I think you and I talked about this. I think uh, people were talking about it. The justice meted out to him on an allegation that uh, we hear is, is maybe 30 years old was swift and um, non-compromising. Yeah. He is, is alleging he didn't even have a chance to hear what he was fired for. Uh, he only found it out, as we learned from a reporter. And in an odd way, this sort of makes the government's case, even though the government is is uh, is under siege here. In the in the other instance, what the Prime Minister and Harjit Sajjan, the Defence Minister, and others have been saying is, look, you don't want politics or politicians investigating and handing out um, sentences in in this whole business of what is going on in the military. And Danny Fortin's case is proof that you don't that that once politics enters mm. this. This just turns into a, a big mess. Um, I, I suspect I, you know, I'm not a judge and I'm not a, uh, not even a lawyer, um, but I suspect he probably has a case in that the uh, the, the swift and silent justice uh, handed out to him treated him like he was a politician when he in fact was brought on board to head Canada's vaccine program because he was not a politician and, and, and above politics. Right. And he's uh, alleging that he's a victim of politics. Yeah, and, and who knows whether the decision would have been so swift and so harsh if there weren't these other stories going on, right? If there wasn't that other context. So I think, I think we can probably yeah. say we, we know it wouldn't have been. Yeah. All right, let's turn to some constitutional matters. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see what's going on in, in three of Canada's largest provinces right now, uh, because, of course, we've been talking about Quebec unilaterally changing the Constitution over its language law. Now uh, Alberta is talking about a referendum on equalization. And uh, we, we talked before about the prospect of... of uh, provinces using the notwithstanding clause a lot more frequently once kind of a dam broke around that. And now the Ontario government is doing that over a bill that would limit third party election advertising. Um, so we're, are we headed into a, a broader discussion about, about uh, constitutional matters and federal provincial relations? Yeah, I know we're all supposed to feel, uh, we're all supposed to uh, hate the Constitution and never want to talk about it, but I think we should spare some pity for the poor thing right now because it is getting kicked around. Uh, Quebec, as we've seen, is uh, has decided to uh, unilaterally amend the Constitution with barely a peep from Ottawa. The Prime Minister has said uh, kind of succinctly and without much explanation that he, it's probably okay for Quebec to do that. Now we have Alberta trying to airlift uh, equalization out of the Constitution. That's the, the program by which uh, provinces uh, redistribute the, uh, income so that, uh, so that we have reasonably similar standards of living in all provinces. Um, and we have Doug Ford in remarkable case of uh, deciding to do a kind of an election reform 
via an exit from the Constitution, invoking the notwithstanding clause so that he could make it illegal for third parties to spend money uh, or lots of money during campaigns. Basically, trampling over freedom of expression so that he can say, you know, allegedly level the playing field in provincial elections. I'm not sure any of these reasons are good reasons to start beating up on the Constitution. I'm puzzled by the timing. We're in the middle of a national pandemic still, a global pandemic, and why the Constitution has suddenly, uh, the poor, poor, poor Constitution is taking (laughs) several hits to its head in these final days of June is, 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 you know, worth asking. I think it, it puts some pressure on the Prime Minister. He's going to resist it. He clearly doesn't like talking about the Constitution, maybe because his dad was obsessed with it. But um, but it does put some pressure on the Prime Minister. The old Who Speaks for Canada uh, line is getting more and more pointed. I, I, I don't think that, that the federal government's answers on any of this have been adequate yet. I'm surprised we haven't seen them speak out. But I think uh, maybe it's the three strikes against the Constitution. It's time for the federal government to say something. Mm. All right. Uh, let's talk about where we stand on the coronavirus. Uh, the The vaccination rate in, in Canada has gone up significantly and, and will continue to do so. More and more people are being vaccinated in the weeks ahead, uh, tens of thousands of them potentially. Um, so that that part, you know, and I think a lot of people are getting their second dose uh, faster than they expected. Um, it's not going to be a one-dose summer for a lot of Canadians after all. It's going to be a two-dose summer. Um, so uh, there's that going on. There are people calling for uh, the border between Canada and the United States to be reopened. Uh, interestingly, tomorrow, the border between Quebec and Ontario is going to be reopened. Um, so uh, where do you, do you think we've turned a corner here? Yeah, you were right. We, we are rapidly entering another phase of debate about what is going on in the pandemic. And it is, it's not the post-pandemic future. We're not talking about that yet. We're talking about how to get out of it. And some of the questions are hard. You're starting now to see doctors and medical professionals and, and ordinary citizens saying, look, it's time for some guidance on what two vaccines gets you or buys you in terms of freedoms. It, there will be a question of pace, of lifting restrictions. The very, very important case of vaccine passports and travel and what uh, what constitutes uh, a certification or proof of vaccination to get things back on track. There's going to be a question soon about boosters as well. You know, we're going to get all through this and then yeah. find out we have to... Um, but uh, but I, you're right, we're, we've headed into another level of discussion about uh, about the pandemic, and it's happened very quickly as people are getting double-dosed. I think that is happening faster than a lot of people, maybe not as fast as some people in Ontario would have liked yesterday trying to book those second doses. Uh, the, uh, from all accounts, it, it was mayhem. But I, I think uh, in a few weeks, we're going to be talking, asking some hard questions about what does a two-dose summer look like. Mm. Yeah, there'll be lots of implications of that. And as you say, uh, other questions uh, with every phase we enter into, there are there are uh, a whole new set of questions to to address. Uh, All right. We'll be talking about that in the weeks ahead. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark.
Delacourt. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. A very clear consensus around the table and indeed with all the leaders in bilateral conversations is that uh, what has happened to the two Michaels uh, should not have happened and indeed could happen in any country around the world. Now here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues the G7 summit lacked substance and support in dealing with the regime in China. The Sun writes... There were brave words during the meeting in Cornwall, England, and the final communique was dutifully self-righteous about Chinese influence. It was, however, watered down and made no reference to hostage diplomacy and the continued imprisonment of Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. It's a disgrace that our allies refuse to stand shoulder to shoulder with us in our fight to free the two illegally detained men. We have a right to expect more from them. At iPolitics, Tom Parkin argues Jagmeet Singh's blunt message about racism reflects the mood of Canadians. Parkin writes, Singh's message probably won't be positively received by the network of government leaders and business people who run the country. If this is a place of racism, violence, and genocide, they helped to create and perpetuate it. If we're reevaluating Canada, as it seems we are, Singh may play a significant role in redefining it. We know we can't continue as if nothing happened, and it seems voices previously at the margins are now telling the story of what did. In the Toronto Star, Shira Lurie argues we should make Canada Day a national day of reckoning. Lurie writes, Canada Day asks us to celebrate the national story as one of uplift and progress. It leaves no room for histories of dispossession, enslavement, internment, or discrimination. Instead of cancelling Canada Day, let's reimagine it. Instead of whitewashed stories that omit centuries of injustice and trauma, let's tell the truth about our past and confront the challenges of our present. Let's make July 1st a day of reckoning. Perhaps then we might create a Canada worthy of our celebration. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The number of House of Commons sitting days before the summer recess may be down to single digits. But that isn't stopping opposition members on one committee from trying to launch another investigation into what they say is government impropriety. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, the four Conservative members on the House of Commons Justice Committee have managed to trigger a meeting at 11 o'clock this morning to ask the committee to summon Justice Minister David Lametti to appear before them to look into allegations that the Trudeau government has been using the Liberal Party database to pre-screen nominees for judicial appointments. Several investigative media reports have suggested as much and Tories in question period have been repeatedly raising the issue. Now, the four committee members are hoping to launch an investigation in the matter. To do so, they will have to persuade all of the opposition members of the committee, who hold a majority, to do so. The other obstacle, of course, is the fact that Parliament will rise for its summer recess next week. However, once again, by a majority vote, the committee could vote to hold hearings even during the summer. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will hold a joint news conference with the President of the European Council and the President of the European Commission. The Prime Minister will tour a facility where Pfizer manufactures vaccines in Belgium and meet with the Prime Minister of Belgium and the King of Belgium before returning home to Ottawa. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet 
will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will announce funding in support of science and research. Minister of Diversity Bartish Chagger will make a virtual announcement to support electric vehicle infrastructure. Minister of Seniors Deb Schulte will speak at a virtual event hosted by CanAge, marking World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. And the Senate Committee on Fisheries and Oceans will hear from Fisheries Minister Bernadette Jordan on the implementation of Indigenous rights-based fisheries. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, June 15th. Tune into Primetime Politics every weeknight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.